me welcome everyone who's come out this morning. I know that it's uh, kind of a nasty day with all the rain. Um, then again, it's kind of nice too, but good to see everybody. I know there's some that are well that are able to be back with us. There are others that uh, are not. Oku, uh, Okadiobi, he had a minor surgery, um, and uh, he'll be back with us shortly, but I uh, wanted just to acknowledge that. And um, it seems like there was something else that I was going to announce, and if I think of it, I'll tell you. But anyway, good to see everybody. This morning we're going to go back to our theme. You can tell that I have the word holification, which is just a way of saying sanctification, but reminding us that sanctification is the process of becoming more and more holy. This quarter we're talking about being holy in my weakness, and I really want to focus this morning on the idea of the weakness. In fact, and to ask the question... Why am I weak? Why do I sin? It's a fact that I do, and I mean me personally, and I'm sure that most everybody in here would be willing to admit, if you're capable of sinning, that in fact, yes, you have your weaknesses, yes, you do sin. There are a lot of terms we use, and I just want to throw some of these up here. We use temptations, passions, desires, tendencies, maladies, faults, weaknesses, failings, imperfections, deficiencies, addictions, inadequacies, and probably a host of other words. But regardless of what we call them, we have to deal with them. I want you to look with me at a couple of passages. I'll start in Ephesians chapter 2 and beginning in verse 1. Let's just read it together. And you who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked, of course, past tense, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, and among whom, that is, everyone in the world, among whom also we all had our way of life, our manner of life in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, And so we were then, by nature, the children of wrath. There's another passage that we're going to look at, and I won't read it just yet, but in James chapter 1, and I believe that if you look at these verses carefully, they describe, it conveys to us the idea of the process of sin. Now when I say it like that, I don't mean to be overly technical, but I do mean to say that because of all of these weaknesses, faults, inadequacies, etc., 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 Because of all of these, we go through, whether we think of it like this or not, we go through on a repeated basis a process that gets us from where we are to sin. In fact, if you've ever asked yourself the question, and I suspect that most people have, when you've done something, and perhaps it was one of those big things that you did, like T.J. was talking about a moment ago in in reflecting before the Lord's Supper, When you're looking at your sins and you're thinking of having, and maybe you've just committed one of those sins, and you find yourself asking the question, how did I get here? How did this happen? How did I do this thing? Maybe it was the first time you ever did whatever it is you did. Maybe it is the first time you got caught and were made to face what you had done. Maybe it was some elaborate, twisted mess that you went through, and it's still in your past, this jumbled up mess of a situation. It maybe involves the sin, a lot of lies, a lot of this and a lot of that. How did you get to that? 
And when you start asking that question, you really understand that there's a process. It's not just an instant thing. It just sort of happened, and you don't know. Maybe there are certain things that happen like that in life, but not what we're talking about right now. No, you went through a period. You went through a process. Things happened. And I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. We might ask the question again, why am I weak? Why do I sin? And I suppose a lot of us would start with this. Satan. And I don't mean like the church lady on Saturday Night Live, you know, Satan. But we understand there is Satan. We understand that there is this individual, this being created by God, this evil, totally evil being that stands in opposition to us. In fact, if we begin to talk about Satan, he's the agent of sin. And all sin comes from him. He's the father of all sin, Jesus said. He's the progenitor. And I mean by that that he generates it. It originates with him. Of all temptation to man, if it comes my way, if I'm tempted by something, if I fall prey to something, he's behind it. Sin is conceived in his mind. And it is disseminated to ours. And that's why when, if you're still open to Ephesians 2, you'll notice again in verses 2 and 3, we walk according to the course of this world. In other words, like the world lives and does. But it is according to the prince of the power of the air. Satan. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Satan. It comes from Satan. I want you to go with me, however, to John chapter 8. And this was a conversation that Jesus was having, if you want to call it a conversation, more of a debate, that Jesus was having with the Jews. And I'm not going to look at all of this by far. It goes on for quite a while. But I do want to look at several verses here and some things that Jesus said. Now, again, they were in this argument, debate, etc. But look down at verse 41. They were saying, you know, that Abraham was their father and, and so forth and so on. And Jesus said, no, you do the deeds of your father. And, of course, he didn't mean Abraham. And he said, you do the deeds of your father. And then they said to him, we're not born of fornication, as if to say you are, but we're not. We have one father, even God. Jesus goes on to say, if God were your father, you'd love me. But you'll notice down in verse 44 here that what he says is, you are of your father, the devil. When a person sins and they go on sinning, they are a child of Satan. The seed of Satan is within them. The thoughts, the mind, the ways of Satan is within them. They do as their father does. I noticed a long time ago that my mannerisms, that a lot of my mannerisms, the way that I sit at a table, the way that I relax my arms, etc., are just like my dad. Now, I didn't intentionally mean for it to be that way, but it's just like my dad. I do things that he does. I stand, you know, if I'm just standing and talking to someone, I'll catch myself and laugh because my hands will be exactly where my dad's will be when he talks. Now, maybe that's from observance. Maybe that's from genetics. Maybe it's a combination of all of that. But in many ways, I'm just like my dad. In many ways, I'm just like my mom. And I suspect that that's the same way with you. You look like them in your any respects. You act like them. And sometimes you have to overcome acting like them. Same is true of us and Satan. God is our Father, and we are created in His image, but what happens to us is that we begin to mimic the deeds of our Father, Satan, to the point that we become sinners just like Satan. Jesus said to these Pharisees here, you've given over to that. You are of your Father, the devil, 
and the lust, the desires of your father, you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he did not, notice this, abide in the truth. He once was in it. Some people ask me, and I've been asked this question, did God create Satan as an evil being? No, he did not. He created him good, just like everything else that God has ever created, but with choice. And Satan chose, because of his own desires, because of his personal will, to be evil. He did not abide. He did not remain in the truth because there's no truth in it. Now that's exactly where one can get if he so chooses. And Jesus went on to say when he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. He is a liar and he is the father of it. Why am I weak? Why do I sin? Well, Satan. And yet, to choose sin, as the passage was just read for us, and as Jesus will talk about here, to choose sin, is to serve it. And the word for serve here is the word to be enslaved. You'll notice back in verse 34, go back up to that verse, and Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, whosoever commits, and the idea is goes on committing sin, is the slave of sin or servant of sin. To choose to sin, to choose to stay in sin, to choose to go on sinning, is to be enslaved by it. And in doing that, that's how you become a child of Satan, because that's what Satan does. He just goes on sinning every day. If we mimic his behavior, we become a child of his, just like the Bible says. Because to sin, why do I sin? Well, I have to allow Satan to work in me. I have to refuse to say no. I have to go on letting Him do what He wants in me and through me. And it's a choice. And I have to admit that to myself. So I can go on and follow the way of the world. Everybody else does it, and I can do it too. And if that's lying or fornicating or abusing substances or all of a host of other things that the world does, I can go on doing that because they're following the way of Satan. And I can choose to do the same thing. And that's what Ephesians 2 says. Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins because that's what you did. And that's what you chose to do. But not any longer. So why do I sin? Well, I've got to choose to sin. Now let's go a little bit deeper with that and let's say it like this. Go over with me to James 1. And let's begin to notice James 1 and say this from the very beginning. If I choose sin, if I sin because I choose to do it, then I can't say either, number one, I'm tempted by God. Now, a person said, well, I wouldn't say I'm tempted by God. Well, wait a minute, Michael. Would you or would you not? Because, you see, a person could say, I'm directly tempted by God. God put this stumbling block in my way. That would be saying it directly. But a lot of times we don't do that. No, what we talk about are our circumstances of life. Knowing full well that God is in control of our circumstances. And so what we are saying is, my circumstances of life are the reason why I do what I do. Is that not then putting the honest on God? God, if you would change my circumstances, I would not sin. Now, a person cannot say I'm tempted of God. And number two, a person cannot really say the devil made me do it. And that's where the difference is. It's not that the devil makes me do it, because he can't. The Bible would teach us he is not allowed to make us do it. He's allowed to tempt us to do it. And there's a difference. But I have to choose it. I have to choose to answer the call of Satan. 
I have to choose to do the sin, so I can't say either it's God's fault or it's Satan's fault. No, in James chapter 1, it's mine. And I want us to look at James 1, and we'll look at these verses. There we go, I hope we will. We'll look at these verses, and, and let's start with verses 12 and 13. In James 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man, blessed is the man who endures. That is, he lasts through it. He goes through it, but he makes it. He endures temptation. And I'm going to just kind of throw my own translation up here. But notice, for when he has been approved, when he's passed the test. Now, some of your translations will use some of these same words. But when he's been approved, when he's passed the test, he will receive the crown of life. And the crown of life is given as promised to everyone who loves the Lord. Now, notice verse 13. Let no one being tempted say. And this is while I'm right in the middle of it. And I want you to understand that. That's what this addresses in this passage. When I'm being tempted, let no one being tempted say this. I'm being tempted by God. Again, directly, by my circumstances, whatever. Don't say I'm being tempted by God, for God is not able to be tempted by evils. Plural. All of them. There are none of them that God is able to be tempted by. And the fact is, He tempts no one. So what James is teaching us to start with is when I'm going through temptation, I've got to realize that this is not God's fault and it's not Satan's fault if I fall prey. It is Satan's fault the temptation is there. But not if I fall prey to it. Because a Christian has the responsibility to resist the temptation. It's going to come. Temptation will be there. God gave us the choice. God gave us the will. We are not programmed robots or androids or whatever. I have a choice. And I think sometimes it would do us well, if you're not in the habit of doing this, it would do you well to start your day and repeat many times throughout your day, I have a choice. Sometimes when I go to the store, walk through a convenience store or whatever, and I'm walking through the different aisles. I was talking to Jules and telling her about this the other day. You know, and the different things are calling to you. You know, the temptation's there. I have to repeat to myself, no, I have a choice. And if I choose that, then I'm going to be right back where I was. Not a wannabe. I have a choice. A Christian's got to resist the temptations that are present in his life. You can't leave the world, Paul said. You can't get away from it. It's there. And you've got to prevent temptations. If I know that going to that place and doing that thing with that person is going to get me in trouble, then don't go to that place, don't do that thing, don't get with that person. Prevent the temptation. And I've got to take responsibility. No matter the source. I can blame Satan, it's his fault. I can blame the other person, it's their fault. I can blame the situation, it's his fault. Or I can take responsibility and say, if I sin, it's my fault. I have a choice. Now let's go further here and look at these verses because this is the heart of it in verses 14 and 15. So let's notice what James says here. Start with verse 14. He said, but each one is tempted. What happens to me? Each one is tempted by his own lust. And the word here is, is your passionate desire." Or whatever. He's tempted by his own lust, being drawn away and enticed. And we're going to come back and look at those words. And then, his desire having conceived, and these are terms just like for the process of going through having a child being conceived and born. 
when his desire having conceived gives birth to sin, and sin having become fully grown brings forth death. Now let's look at this. First of all, this idea of drawn away. Each one is tempted by his own passionate desire being drawn away. The word drawn away means to be drawn out aside or drawn out of the right place, out of the safety of a place. And it is a word that's used, if you notice here, to describe catching or trapping a fish by luring it from safety with bait. Now that's what Satan does. Satan fishes for you. And he casts the bait out there. And if you'll notice, the luring, and that's what we're talking about here literally with this idea of being drawn away. The luring is the movement of the bait. Now, what is that? Proverbs. Be careful when the wine moves just such in the glass. The movement of it. Be careful when the woman begins to flash her eye. And wiggle in a certain way. The movement of the Lord. The movement that is catching your attention. That's attracting you. When you fish, and I used to do a lot of fishing. And I would fish for bass and I would use lures. And you don't just throw the worm out there on the, you know, the bottom with a little sinker on there. No, you cast out there and you learn to maneuver the rod in just a certain way. You wiggle that thing underwater. Because you're mimicking the movement of live bait. And it's a sport. And the sport of it is, if I can get it, if I can do it well enough, that fish will go for it. If I can attract that fish, if I can do it, move that bait in a certain way, I will lure that fish to my bait and I'll catch that fish. Satan knows that. He learns you. And he knows you as well as you, sometimes better than you know yourself. You may say to yourself, I can go to this place, I can be with this person, I can do this thing and I'll be just fine, but Satan knows better. And when you get in a certain situation or around a certain person or kind of person or you just walk down the street, Satan will make sure that there is that wiggle, that movement, that thing that attracts your attention. He will attract you. And the bait will be there. And it will appeal to what is natural inside of you. A hunger that you have. You see, the fish is not over there in the water in the safety of wherever it is. When I plop that lure out in the water, the fish is not over there saying, wow, what is that? That doesn't appeal to me. Why would that idiot up there throw that in here? No, the fish is there saying, mmm, I'm hungry. That's the point. Satan knows that. He knows you're hungry. He knows you want things. He knows you need things. And he's going to supply you with the wrong answer for it. Enticed. Now this is the other side of the coin. This is you. Because it means to be allured. It means to be, my class this morning, beguiled. That is, deluded, deceived by the bait. It's used to describe what catches the attention. It's not the movement of the lure here. It's what's going on inside the mind of the fish. Or in this case, your mind. Mine. What's going on in my head so that it attracts my attention? Why do I look? Now, I drive down a certain part of town... And there's this building over there, and it's got all of these colorful flashing lights. 
in big neon signs it says this or it says that. Why does that catch my attention? Why does it appeal to me? Sometimes I don't even know. I don't know why a certain smell or a certain taste or a certain look appeals to me necessarily. I don't know why, but I know it does. And so does Satan. And it's what catches my attention that leads to me being caught. Because you notice, if you've read it already, read it again with me. The enticing is the movement toward. Now notice, not the bait, my movement. I'm the fish now. The movement toward what is appealing. It's when you begin to turn your attention to it. It's when you look a second time. It's when you start thinking about it. It's when you start thinking about what it can mean to you and how it can satisfy you. And you begin in your mind to go through this process of, I can have that and it will be good. And what happens to me is, I start relinquishing the resistance. Oh, there's a voice in me saying, "Uh uh-uh, Michael, we've been here before. You know what's at the end of this. Don't do that. But inside, I'm dredging up all of that hunger. I'm telling myself I want it. I'm saying to myself, this will satisfy. And as I'm relinquishing all of that resistance, regardless of the danger that I may even know is there, I'm moving toward the bait. Now, you see what James is talking about here? Sin hasn't even happened. It's just the temptation. But the process has started. The bait is moving a certain way, attracting me. I am thinking a certain way and moving toward it. At the moment of temptation, here's what I have to deal with. Always, every temptation, every time. I've got to deal with my personal desire. And let's just start there. It can be natural desire. You know? God created us, male and female. There is a natural desire for members of the opposite sex. That is natural. God means for us to be sexual individuals. He means for us to marry. He means for us to have that relationship with our husband or wife. He means for there to be children. Just like Ellie here this morning. He means for that to happen. It is a good thing. It is a right thing. But it is a desire. It's natural. There are acquired desires. We learn to desire fervently. If I mention Reese's Cup, what will you guys think if you've been here a lot of times? It's acquired, but it's there now. And it's strong. And I have to deal with the attraction. The movement of certain things. The ways of certain things. That may not appeal to you, but they do me. I have to deal with that. It's the lure of it. And I have to deal with the appeal, because this is me. This is what goes on inside of me. It's the pull of the thing. It's pulling me to it. And I've got to deal with that. And notice, the pull increases in intensity the closer I get to it. You would think the closer I get to the danger, I'd recognize, whoa, that's dangerous, get away! It doesn't happen like that, and you know it. The closer you get to it, all that you think about is how hungry you are for it, how much you want it, how much it's going to satisfy you when you get it. I've got to deal with all of that. And unless the process is stopped, that passionate desire within me, now conceived, as James says. In other words, it has life. 
it's conceived in you, it will give birth to sin unless it's stopped. The repetition of the process, that is, you do that whole process over and over and over, when it is fully grown, it will lead to spiritual death. Now, let's just kind of summarize, and I'll put some pictures up here, because this, in a simple way, even the children can understand this, this is what's happening. I'm the fish. I'm tooling around in the water, and everything's good. You know, water's fine, (laughs) everything's good today. And I start thinking to myself, perhaps, I'm hungry. It's natural. We get hungry. And then, somebody plots a worm out there. Now I'm this fish. Whoa! Should I? Or should I not? That's like me at the convenience store, looking at the Reese's Cup. Should I? Should I not? Then I'm the fish, and the worm is right in front of me. No! I'm hungry, so I'm going for it! And I'm gone. Because here's reality. In my sane moment, That's what they look like. They're just laying there, including the worm at the bottom. And it's not moving a certain way in the water, and I'm not in the heat of the moment, as we call it, heat of the passion, etc. It's just laying there. And when I look at these things, I ask myself a question. What do all these things, all these lures, all these things in my life, what do they all have in common? And if you looked at these, they all look different, but what do they all have in common? Hooks, somebody said. They all have hooks. And you would think that a fish swimming around in the water, everything is going wonderful, would look at this and say, Hey, fool, do you see the hook? You would think that it is the hook that stands out, no matter what the fisherman throws in there, the fish would look at that, but all the fish can see is what it thinks will satisfy that's the same with you and me. I think it will satisfy me. It doesn't. I've committed nearly every sin in the book, and it never satisfied me. Never. I've changed certain things and done what's right, and it did satisfy me. And we're supposed to learn from that. We're not to give praise to the hook. Because that's when Satan has us. That's why James says, do not be led astray, my beloved brothers. If you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, if you believe in Jesus, that He is the Son of God, if you're willing to change your life, you'll do whatever it takes to change from what's wrong and do what's right. If you're you're willing to stop the process of sin. If this morning you'll be baptized, you can have all your sins forgiven. And you can start your life over. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, I've been baptized. But I'm the fish. And I keep going for the bait. And I keep getting caught. And I want to change that. I need the prayers of the people here to stop it. We'd love for you to come. Please come, our great leaders. Oh.